Merry Christmas again. Let's pray. Father, we, and I hope all of your children learn to love tradition, how to use tradition, how to use this tradition of Christmas in our Western culture as a joyous, wonderful time for family and for friends. But at the center of it, an ongoing contemplation as throughout the year, but here once again of this glorious incarnation of our Savior to become one of us in order that rotten sinners like me could be saved forever to enjoy You. Thank You, Father. May that happen. May these thoughts and contemplations create an appetite for the glories of Jesus Christ. Amen. So on this Christmas Sunday and after we have already been three years going through the Gospel of Luke, this morning I want us to to feel the flow of Luke's narrative of Jesus' life as a whole. In Luke 1, we read, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. We saw that that baby was born and he became a toddler and a twelve-year-old having discussions with the scholars in the temple. And he grew into a man. But why was he born? We've seen it over the previous weeks in Luke 22. He was born, for example, for that moment in the upper room where he said to his apostles, This is my body which is given for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Christmas is that doorway for Jesus to accomplish the purpose that He Himself laid out. And that's where I want our focus to look at it through Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. That's what Christmas is all about. He was born in order not for you and me to serve Him. He was born in order to serve us. To serve us by being slaughtered on a cross where He willingly received the wrath of God against our sins. And so let's let again this Christmas week with our carols and songs and lights and fun and family be this glorious opportunity to let that truth sink in. Jesus. Christmas. The first advent. He's born in order to give His life as a ransom for many. It was intentional. Jesus was not born for all these other reasons, but during that last week of His life, things kind of went awry and He got caught up in a plot and ended up getting killed by the Romans. But as the Holy Spirit says through the writer to the Hebrews, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, meaning since the children, we are human beings, He Himself likewise partook of the same. And He Himself likewise became a human being. And here's the kicker. Why? So that through death He might destroy the One who had the power of death. The purpose of Christmas, according to Jesus, is to give His life to a sacrificial, substitutionary death and thus pay a ransom for many. So what does that mean? Why is Jesus' death called a ransom? Now, now that word in the Greek is the word lutron. And it means a payment to release someone from some type of bondage. Like a prisoner of war. Yes, we'll release so many if the ransom is good enough. Or like in most of human history and in the Roman Empire, slavery. There's a way in which to buy your freedom to pay the ransom price or to get out of debt. Jesus here says He pays what the, notice the word, many can. He gives His life as a ransom for many so evidently, the many can't pay it. He pays it by substituting Himself for them. The, the way Paul summarizes it is this in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, God made 
Jesus to be sin. Him, the, the one who knew no sin Himself, never sinned Himself, He did this so that through Him, or in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, what are the many here ransomed from? I think there's lots of subpoints will come out of what I'm going to lay out, but they're all connected, I think, to these two great truths in the gospel. He ransoms the many from slavery to sin and from the penalty of sin. He ransoms them from slavery to that nature that we all find ourselves since birth dead in our darkened heart. Dead to God Spiritually, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 8, verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He's not done. And so, if the Son sets you free, by His ransom, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, these ones that He sets free, the many by His ransom, are not just people who sin. We are those who are under the power of sin. We are slaves to sin. And we need to be ransomed from its power. That's how Paul says it in Romans 6 to believers who have the evidences that they have been ransomed by Jesus because they've come to faith in Him. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We are ransomed. Something radical changes in this time before the resurrection concerning our sinful nature in which we're all born. We don't become sinless, but something has changed that can be described as, I'm a sinner, but not like before. I am not enslaved to sin. And secondly, He ransoms the many from the punishment of our sin. This is how Jesus said it in Matthew 25. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. For Paul in Romans 5.9 clearly said it this way, we are saved by Christ from 
the wrath of God. Why? Because sin, our sin, our rebellion against God brings God's justice. His just wrath upon all of us. Upon my children. And therefore, if one anywhere in the world today or in this room this morning, if a person is not in that state of having been ransomed by Jesus, then eternal punishment awaits. Deep down, everybody in this room and in this world, militant atheist included, they know something's broken in them. They deep down know they have fallen short of God's standards. And it is amazing how our sinful hearts rationalize. Yes, to err is human. To forgive is divine. God would never truly pour out holy justice in wrath against me. Interpreted, it means these people come up with a theology, even within Christianity, that says eternal wrath, punishment, judgment today would be unjust for God to do. So, clearly, He wouldn't do it. But those are the opinions of sinful human hearts. They're philosophies of men. I'm going to stick with the Scripture. I'm going to stick with Romans 1, for instance, where, where Paul lays it out clearly. For although they, that means all of us human beings who are sinful, for though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but something happened. They, or we all, became futile in their thinking. It's amazing what theologies and philosophies come from that. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish heart was darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things and money and sexual immorality. And you can go on as Paul will go on in Romans 1. It's what we do with our sin where we place God with false gods. Paul wonderfully put it this way in chapter 6 of Romans. For the wages, therefore, for all of us who are these sinners, the wages are that which we deserve, which would be just. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But that eternal life was really costly. 
And that's the point of our text. It cost Jesus His slaughtered life. I'll let Paul summarize it for us. What do you mean you came to give your life is ransom in the stead of literally anti-palone. Instead of many. This is what he means in chapter 5 of Romans. But God shows His love for us believers in that while we were still sinners, Christ, the baby born in Bethlehem, 35 or so years later, Christ, died for us. And since therefore, we have now been made right with God by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Christmas, we call it the Advent season. Big word for the coming. The first coming of Christ through the womb of Mary. He came, why? The Son of Man came. Here's why. Not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And so the big question of Christmas this year, as in every year, as the glorious hymns and carols are sung, the big question is always this. Who are the many? In other words, how does a person know if he or or she is included in the word many? The many who are to be ransomed from the eternal justice that we deserved and from the enslavement to sin. If you have a Bible or a phone or whatever you have, flip over to John. So I want to just let's listen to Jesus and something else He said. I think it's going to give us a huge clue to who these many are. John 15. In verse 13, Jesus says to His apostles, His close associates, Greater love has no one than this. What, Jesus? That someone lay down his life for his friends. Okay, let me stop there for a moment. Jesus is saying, I have come to ransom my friends. Let me try to show you that. He has to be mean that in a minute. Or just, so let's just, right now, I think we're safe to say then. 
with Mark 10.45. Jesus has come to ransom the many, or you can say His friends. The many are His friends. But what does it mean, therefore, seems to be crucial. What does it mean to be His friend? That's the kind of question that Christmas should cause us to contemplate always. God's making peace on earth. With whom exactly? Let's just read that verse again and then keep reading. Greater love has no one than this. What? That someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command. Don't read into Jesus' words something He did not say. Be very careful. This is not how a person becomes a friend of Jesus. This is the way you act because you are a friend. There's a huge difference. There is a way to become a friend and that's not it here. The way you become a friend is that He ransoms you. This is not a description of how to become a friend. It's the evidence of those who are His friends. His ransom. His church. The point is that the ransom that Jesus paid is what frees these people and empowers them to do what He commands. So for instance, Jesus commands, come unto Me, all of you who are just overwhelmed with your sin and muck and burden and life and pain and tragedy and guilt, come unto Me and I will give you rest. You are My friends if you do what I command you. You know how Jesus said it in in John? Father gives those that are mine and I'll grab them and I won't lose any of them. My sheep hear My voice. They hear Me say, come unto Me. And they hear it and they obey. My sheep or My many hear My voice when I command. That's why Jesus in Mark 10.45 said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve you. In other words, believers, those who have truly come personally to Jesus, the Savior, and know Him, or rather have been known by Him, they do as sinners still. As sinners who do disobey, they do 
obey commands. But in this context, in this sense, as they're obeying commands, they don't serve Jesus. This is crucial to understanding the Gospel. And it's why legalists get the Gospel wrong. They're so wrong about it. Look at me. I've done good. I've done better. I've kept some moral laws. (laughs) And others haven't. I'm a little bit higher than them. Aren't you proud of me, Jesus? I served you. You don't understand the Gospel. And on the other end of the pendulum, it's why libertines get the Gospel so wrong. Oh, I get it. We're saved by grace, which means it's irrelevant how I live the rest of my life. Which means it's relevant whether I live by the lust of my flesh or they are being killed daily by the work of the Spirit in me. No, 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 brother. Do this and that. Be a church person. Don't have sexual relations with any other human being outside of that one person you're in covenant with marriage with. Come on, brother. You're a, we're not under law. They don't get it. In the context here of Mark 10, if you flip back there then, in the context of Jesus' statement, right before it, He has just said, James, John, okay, alright, it's true. You will be required. i got some commands for you. i got some work for you. You're going to be required to drink the cup of suffering. And you will do it. And you'll choose to do it. You will receive it. In fact, if you look at the verse before, verse 44 of Mark 10, you will become slaves of all. In other words, Jesus is saying to those who are His, who are His friends, who are the many, the Gospel will cause you to live a radically different lifestyle. certainly will. He says, you'll serve others, guys. you become slaves. Servants to all. Now, you will do what I command you, James and John, and actually for you, it can be and will be very costly. James will be executed within five years. But, if that were the only message of Christianity, it would not be. Good news. There would be no gospel without the next verse. Verse 45. For, guys, even the Son of Man, I, Jesus, came not to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And therefore, it would be a terrible mistake to hear the word serve or slave 
and become a slave of all in verse 44. And to hear that as a, as a call to serve Jesus in the sense of I'm called to meet Jesus' needs. It's not a call to meet Jesus' needs. The point that Jesus is making is that you can do nothing. You can't drink the cup of My suffering. You can't become a slave of others. You can't obey commands without Me, Jesus, serving you. Mark 10.45 is the enablement of what comes before in that passage of the Christian life of obedience and service. Drink the cup of suffering, guys. Follow Me. Obey Me. Serve one another. Become a slave of all. How? How is that possible? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve to give His life as a ransom for many. Hearing the Word of God, obeying Jesus' commands in the Word of God in our lives, in our daily lives as believers, it is a constant call. When He says, see your flesh, see your sin, see how you've sinned today, see how you need to go ask forgiveness here. <laughs> yeah, I taste, I taste. Okay, here you go. Listen to me. Follow me here. And you follow every one of those commands in your life, and they're found in the Bible, not sitting under a tree saying, Speak to me. Every one of those commands is Jesus saying, Right here, I'm going to serve you. Jesus is saying, When I come, Not to be served by you, but to serve you. He means, I don't need your help. I don't need anything that you could do that would really benefit me like an employer. I am God. I am the all-sufficient One. I have resources for you. You have no resources for me at all. So, when I say we who are believers obey the Word of God, obey Scripture, obey the words of Jesus, but in so doing we don't serve Jesus, what I mean is this. Every time He commands something like don't commit adultery. Don't practice sexual immorality. Stop treating your wife that way. But love her as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Stop cheating people in your business. Stop stealing. Okay, just, 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 just go to the Bible, okay? Every time Jesus commands something like that, He is telling us how He wants to serve us. And if you see it any other way, 
you misread what he's all about and what he means by follow me. In other words, for believers, those people who have come alive to God in Christ by the Holy Spirit in new birth, they've come to the truth and love it, how much God loves them in Christ. Those very commands of Jesus on how we are to walk and repent and pursue Him are the very places daily in our lives where Jesus serves us. By saying, you know that promise you just read there in Romans 3? You know that promise in Mark 6? I'm serving you here with these promises. Believe me in them. Believe me in them. But not only that, He serves us by His Holy Spirit indwelling enablement to come again and again to brokenhearted repentance and see the fruit and the work of the Spirit overflow to one degree or another in our life. He is constantly serving us that way. This is the Gospel. That when a person becomes a Christian, not just a churchgoer, he does not, or she does not become Jesus' household servant to meet his household needs. It's not, oh, okay, I'm a Christian, I see. Well, it's great that he saved me, and we'll put that over here. Okay, I'm saved by grace. Okay, what am I saying? Oh, okay, hmm. Okay, I guess I'm his servant now, and because he has a lot of needs. Wow, that's why you're telling me not to sleep with my boyfriend. Wow, Jesus is needy. How does that meet your need? I don't know, but whatever. Okay, stop smoking dope and being a drunkard. Treat people more lovingly. Well. This is how not to think. I guess somehow that's going to really help Jesus out some way. If I just do that for Him. No. That's not the Christian life. It's not Christianity. Christianity is that Jesus to you experientially through the Gospel has become your everything. And you know, therefore, He commands your obedience for your good. And walking by faith is simply trusting Him in that. I believe Him. I trust Him. Like a child, trust mommy, daddy. I want your safety. Don't do that. Come here. That's a believer. He is my everything. Okay. Something happened in your life. Jesus called it new birth. And what happened in new birth is that you have desires now that you did not have before. Genuine 
loving, affectionate desires that you that came about in the hearing of the gospel of Christ. And you know, because of the work of the Spirit, I'm His. He's mine. I love God. I didn't before. Okay, you have these new desires. And you still have your old desires. It's called the flesh. Okay, if you're understanding me now, welcome to genuine Christianity. That's the Christian life. And Jesus commands, amazingly, to not do this, but to do that, which seem to contradict our natural, sinful desires. That's the Christian life. But what I often experience with people sometimes, and sometimes I don't know how to break through, that Christians, we get overwhelmed with particular sinful habits that just become dominating it's not just temptation we give in okay okay look let's look at Christ let's look at him here let's look at him there let's look at him over here you see this picture you see the beauty no i don't i just see my sin and it becomes the idol on the altar of their lives as if Jesus and the Gospel which is to be producing. That is amazing. Wow! That looks delicious! They, they didn't even... They, they just, for some reason, that seems like years behind them. Here's my all-conquering sin. You said, don't do this. And I find myself doing this. So... It's Paul in Romans 7, but they never get to the end of Romans 7. Thank God through Jesus Christ. In other words, many times our besetting sins can become our idol. Thinking Christianity is about willpower. It's getting an AA thing and, and defeat that. But we're placing our defeat of particular sins in our own willpower away from worship and love of Christ who's serving No, the focus of my life is how to defeat my addiction to alcohol. Or how to defeat my addiction to pornography. Or to worry. Or to jealousy. Instead of turning to Jesus. Turning to the Word of God turning to the unimaginably beautiful picture of Jesus Christ in the Gospel where God shines the light on our heart so that you won't even think about it as much you realize that besetting sin yesterday looks like it tastes like dirt today in comparison to your walk with Christ. Christian life is a battle to rest in the true understanding of what happened in the ransom. To rest in the understanding that 
If you're a believer, you have been justified before God. You have been legally made clean forever. You have been and are seen as sinless as Jesus is. Because He not only took your sins to Himself, where the Father imputed Him to His humanity and killed your sin that was against you, but He also took His Son's perfect, sinless human life and put it to your account. It is a resting in that reality that I am justified and made right and acceptable to my God through faith, trust in Christ who came to serve me by ransoming me. In Him, in His work alone, not am I overcoming that sin this day. It is resting in that. And you walk. And therefore, that's the reason that our besetting sins cause this holy hatred for them. God, deliver me from this body of sin and lust. Help! They're constant calls. Come unto Me. Come unto Me. Draw near to Me. I'll draw near to you. Walk by the Spirit. And at those moments you are, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let me serve you in this is I will enable you to follow Me. Jesus came to serve you, believer. Let Him absorb love and cherish the words of this book daily. In any forms they come, through your reading, someone reading to you, your memorization, hearing them unfolded in expository preaching, letting Jonathan Edwards paint biblical pictures for you of who this God is that you are overcome and you forgot your besetting sins for three days because you had no time Now let me just make this big parenthesis here for a minute. I know that the New Testament teaches us that we are servants of Christ. Okay. The point is this. Look at context. And in the New Testament, the word servant, like Jesus saying, I didn't come to be served by you. The word servant is being used in different ways. And here, at least, two different ways. So, yes, we who have come to Christ are slaves of Christ. We're His servants in the sense of what? That we do submit. We do obey His authority to command us however He pleases. Oh, we're servants in that way, definitely. But we are not servants of Jesus well, let, me, let me use this word. It's probably you can relate to it more. We are not employees of Jesus. 
in the sense that all employers are needy. That's why they hire people. They need stuff done. It's not charity. They want to make money. They want to better themselves. They find people that can do their bidding because it's helpful to them. We are never servants of Jesus in that sense. Jesus is never our servant in the sense that we command Him what He should do. How He should serve us. He's never our servant that way. But He is our servant in that we are desperate for His help and His strength and His guidance and His support in keeping our business of eternal happiness alive and afloat. So when Jesus says, I did not come to be served, we must understand therefore the importance that there's a way, there's a mentality of trying to serve Jesus that is deadly. Paul said it this way in Acts 17. He, the Lord, is not served by human hands as though He needed anything. Because He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So watch in your life that you're not doing this. Well, I'm a Christian. Well, okay. I, okay. God commanded me to dig a ditch. Okay, I dug him a ditch today. A real long ditch. I guess he's got a lot of stuff he, he needs to get done and I've been helpful to him to lay his pipe down in the ditch. Okay. Served him. Needy. Needy guy. He is. Oh, next day. Wow. Oh, he wants me to go to church. I mean, he wants me to be a part of the church somewhere in the world and local especially, and committed. He's a needy employer. Can't figure out how that connects and that helps him. Whatever. Guess I should maybe do that to help him out a little bit. Oh, he wants me not to live in sexual immorality. He's helped. Okay. Oh, he's needy. No, ever. Don't ever. Don't ever approach him that way. Or when you do, say, Jesus, help me see clearly. Help me understand clearly. You did not come to be served. But you came to serve me. You came to serve me. You gave your life as a ransom price for me that bought everything. It bought my life today. It bought my faith today. It bought my ability to have a Bible and open it up today. It bought my ability to fellowship with believers today and to be in strength. It bought my ability to, oh yes, overflow and love others today. Never think of your obedience as ever meeting the needs of the Lord. He has none.
He commands us to live through all of His commands. It's what they are. Commanding us to live in the enjoyment of His presence by the Holy Spirit. And as He commands, as Augustine wrote 1,700 years ago, Command me, Lord, and grant to me my obedience to Your commands. The ransomed are His friends. You can never work your way or serve your way into friendship with Jesus. His friends are those whom He's ransomed by His birth and His life and His death and His resurrection. And the Gospel goes. And then the evidence of the ransomed is that they hear the message of Christmas. Which leads to Good Friday and to Easter Sunday. And their eyes of their hearts are opened to love that Christ. To pursue Jesus. To cling to this glorious Gospel of free grace, of salvation from sin, and of the enjoyment of the glory of God in part now and fully in the resurrection someday. In other words, the evidence is it is those people who listen to Jesus. You are My friends. If you do what I command you, And they say in their brokenness and in their imperfections and in their continually dwelling desire for disobedience, they do move toward Him saying, You, O Lord, command me for my good. Help my unbelief. Empower me by Your Spirit. And so as we sing again this morning, As we sing this week these glorious Christmas carols with friends and family, contemplate deeply the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ to serve. To serve you. To be for you everything you possibly need for life and godliness and hope. Because He came to die and pay the price to ransom you out of your inability to love Him, to pursue Him, and to obey Him. He came to ransom all of those who look to Him as the fountain of eternal joy. Jesus was born to deliver sinners from an eternal hell and from the enslavement to sin. He is the eternal servant, Savior to all who have loved is coming through the womb of Mary to die for them.
testing. We got nothing. Testing. A Christmas poem by our own Sergio Tangari. Holy night, heaven's tale, Son of God became frail. In a manger there he lay with the beasts that low in hay. Holy night, heaven's bright eastern star steered aright. What the magi longed to see there to worship heaven's king. There to worship heaven's king. Son of God, Son of Man, none could thwart your costly plan that from all eternity you'd ransom sinners like me. Holy night, heaven's flight, Herod planned this child to smite. Joseph, Mary, in a dream, warned to Egypt they must flee. Holy night, heaven's child grew before us, meek and mild. As he spoke the word indeed, those bound up were now set free. Those bound up were now set free. Holy night, heaven's light, son of man knew our plight. He, for us by God forsaken, on the cross his life was taken. Holy night in the tomb, resurrection life assumed, death no more his life could keep. Spotless Lamb of God is he, spotless Lamb of God is he, glory to our matchless King. When He comes in glorious clouds with the host of heaven sound, we with trumpet blast will sing glory to our matchless King. Son of God, Son of Man, none could thwart Your costly plan that from all eternity You'd ransom sinners like me.